Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, we want to welcome you uh, to week number two of our Advent series, It's Complicated. We're looking at the Christmas story uh, from the scripture with a new set of eyes. And this morning brings us to the part of the story about the shepherds. Thank God for Charles Schultz and the Peanuts uh, comic strip for providing us from 1965 on, amidst all of the commercialization and all the secularization of Christmas, thank God for Linus getting up every year and blaring to millions of people's television sets the true meaning and the true story of Christmas. I'm grateful. And so this morning, we're going to look at the shepherds because they play no insignificant part uh, in the Christmas narrative. In fact, the shepherds occupy about 20% of the narrative that's devoted or dedicated to the story of Christ's birth. That's really, really important to see. And have you ever wondered, why did God choose the shepherds for the big announcement? I mean, think about it. Of all the people that God could have gone to, to have this angelic visitation, God does not select dignitaries. He doesn't choose royalty. He doesn't come to the religious leaders of the day. He goes to shepherds. And that may not sound important to you when you first hear it until you stop to look at the backdrop and the way that shepherds were viewed in first century Palestine. Now, Jewish kids growing up had aspirations for all sorts of things, including the career path they were going to take. And there were, just like today, differing levels of occupations. Kids aspired to many jobs, but no Jewish child ever aspired to become a shepherd. When I grow up, I want to be a shepherd, said no Jewish child ever, because that's just not a job that you wanted to have. It's largely due to the way they were viewed. They were considered uh, kind of like social gypsies. They were travelers. They migrated from place to place. They were transitory. Um, and they were often accused of being thieves. So whenever had someone in a town had something missing, they would always and often say, it must have been those shepherds that were coming through town. Think carnival worker here, okay? Think carnival worker. So these shepherds not only had a kind of a bad rap and a bad reputation, they were considered really the lower class of society. Uh, they were uh, really relegated to obscurity and relative poverty, but it also had some incredible implications spiritually and religiously speaking. The Talmud, which was the oral law that was passed down to the Jewish faith and the Hebrew faith in Israel all the way from Moses to the time of Christ and even into today, the Talmud, which contains not the written laws that were passed from Moses, but the oral laws that were picked up along the way, uh, actually really speak to how despised shepherds really were. In the Talmud, it states that you are never to provide help to heathens and to shepherds. So they were put on that par with those that were outside God's grace, outside of having a relationship with God. They were considered ceremonially unclean. So according to rabbinical law, a shepherd could not enter the temple, 
and could not actually worship in a ritual way like the Jewish people did. Because of their job, because of the, un, the perceived uncleanness of their race and of their job, they were actually prevented from coming to the temple and attending those pilgrimages. So when everyone was going to Jerusalem to celebrate, the shepherds just simply abided in the fields and kept doing their job, even though they were providing many times the sacrifices in sheep that were being brought to worship God. They were not trusted. So the Talmud actually stated that they could not be called upon as witnesses in a civil or trial case uh, in Jerusalem. They were not able to be witnesses because they were considered unreliable. Those shepherds just had a bad rap. They were socially marginalized, and again, they were considered the poorest of the poor of the classes of employees of that day. And there were really two kind of types of shepherds. There were the shepherds that were the nomadic kind that actually migrated from town to town and place to place and actually took the sheep into the higher places in the mountain ranges. And then there were those that stayed closer to Jerusalem that actually took their sheep to local pastures, and those were the sheep that were often used in these sacrifices. The shepherds that are talked about in the narrative of Scripture in Luke's Gospel were actually these nomadic shepherds. And if there were a classification, in other words, if you could be a really, a really high-class shepherd and a low-class shepherd, these were considered the low-class sort of shepherds, obscure and living in relative poverty. Now, what was the job of the shepherd? Well, biblically, we get this picture painted about what the shepherd was responsible for. The shepherd was responsible to care for and to protect, and to watch over, and to guard the sheep. So so not only did the shepherd have the responsibility to feed the sheep, and care for, and nourish them, but also to keep the wolves out. To lay at the gate at night, and make sure that uh, no enemy, no, no wild animals, no mountain bandits who wanted to come and steal the sheep, were allowed to enter into that fold, or into that area where those sheep were kept at night. We actually have a picture of this in John chapter 10 where Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the sheep of the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So a shepherd's heart, a shepherd's job was to actually first and foremost make sure the sheep were cared for, protected, and were fully nourished. They also made sure that a sheep never wandered and got itself into danger. We see a picture of that in a parable Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 when he says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go out after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and brings it back. This level of concern and care for the sheep was really the job of the shepherd. And we see another picture of that actually even closer about caring for the lambs, the youngest of sheep. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. 
He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is, by the way, a prophetic scripture about Jesus, about what Jesus was coming to do. And so here's the narrative of the scripture. Uh, This is what happens in the story of Luke's gospel surrounding the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2, it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now notice what he says. The angel says, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. We can speculate all we want about why God chose shepherds for this angelic visitation, but I would suspect that one of the most important reasons that God chose shepherds is because they were separated and socially marginalized. It's as though God is making a statement that this is not just for every single person in the world except you. And it's punctuated that today a Savior has been born for you. Today a child is coming and it will be a sign to you. What was it they needed a sign of? They needed to know that God's love was not just for the whole world, but it actually included them. They were a part of it. God had them in mind. God was saying, I care about the poor. I care about the socially marginalized. And I want them to know that though religious leaders have forgotten them and written them out of their script, and though the world has written them off and considers them the lowest of low, I want them to know that I've come for them. I've come to select them. Regardless of where you're at today in your life and how you may feel about your relationship with God. I love what Aubrey said this morning. God's love is big enough for every one of us. And God's love wants to reach into every one of our hearts. There could be many reasons why God chose the shepherds, but but I can tell you one significant reason that God chose them. Because God wanted to symbolize to the entire world what this baby was going to become. He was going to grow up And he was going to have a job. It was going to be a job that was actually going to change the landscape of human history forever. It was a significant job. And you know what that job was? It was the job of a shepherd. That's exactly the type and the symbolism that those shepherds brought to the manger. Why were they among the first to hear? Because now we have a perfect shepherd that's coming to the earth. And that, and that God wanted to make a statement to all of us that this child was more than just a baby, more than just a good teacher, more than just a prophet. This child was the Savior, the Redeemer, and the Shepherd of every one of us. We actually see this in Scripture. The Bible says in John chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement, I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own sheep, and they know me. A good shepherd was one that cared for. A good shepherd was one that, that, that protected, that fought off everyone that was pursuing and trying to kill or hurt or damage the sheep. If one wanders off, the good shepherd doesn't forget about that sheep. The good shepherd, like Aubrey's story, goes after the sheep and says, I'm pursuing you because I love you, because I want relationship with you, because you matter to me. Jesus is the good shepherd, but he's more than just a good shepherd. First Peter says this, when, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He's not just a good shepherd in the sense that he cares for us and watch over us, but he's actually the chief shepherd in the sense that he governs our life, the body of Christ. Now, in every organization, you have executives and, and you have financial people who oversee the finances of the operation. You have potentially someone who is in charge of the operations. In larger organizations, you may call them the CEO, the CFO, and the COO, right? Chief Executive officer, chief financial officer, chief operations officer. Well, Jesus, to the church, is the CPO. No, not C3PO. He's the CPO, the chief pastoral officer. I say this at Discover GCC, and if you've been to one of those as a newcomer, you've heard me say it. But I make this statement every time I meet with individuals at Discover GCC because it's important. The leader of Grace Crossing Church is not me. The leader of Grace Crossing Church is Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. Every one of us are simply under shepherds following the governance and the guidance of the chief shepherd. That's what the scripture says. And one day... All of us that are under shepherds, particularly, are going to give an account to the chief shepherd for how we handled our responsibility of caring for and tending to the sheep that don't belong to us. They belong to him. The Bible also goes on to say this in Hebrews. Jesus is like a great shepherd whose blood was used to make God's eternal agreement with his flock. You see, when, when those shepherds went to that manger, they went to that stable and they looked on that child, they had no idea how significant of a shepherd he was going to be. Because Jesus actually made that statement earlier in John 10. A good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what he does. Jesus becomes that perfect, not just shepherd, but that perfect lamb all in one. When John the Baptist saw him coming toward him, here's what it says in John chapter 1. John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He wasn't just the perfect shepherd, but he was the perfect sacrifice for all of us. And that symbolism is found in the narrative and the story of the shepherds coming. But there's another track to this story that I want you to see this morning. And it has to do with the vocational complications that this would have caused these shepherds. 
This is an angle of the story that we often don't think about, we often don't take, and, and we often don't walk down that path. But this morning for a few moments, I want you to think about several implications that we find in the narrative that I think are applicable to us here this morning as it relates to our jobs. There are three implications I want to extract from this story today. The first one is this. For us to give the best, for us to give our job the best, we must give God our first. For us to give our job our best, we must give God our first. Here's what the scripture says in the narrative in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. What the text doesn't tell us is whatever happened to the sheep. Who took care of them? I think what the shepherds do is they recognize that what they're doing for a job is important. But what God wants to do in them and through them is more significant. And they were willing to put their career on hold in order to fulfill the directives and be a part of the larger story that God was unfolding on the earth. They obviously believed the angels enough to say, we're going to go ahead and we're going to move a different direction and we're going to trust God's going to work everything else out. You know, one of the toughest things that we have to do in life is the integration of our relationship with God to our, with our job and with what we do for a career. I've met and talked with so many individuals who find this to be a place that's so difficult in life. How do we take and integrate our life and our job with our faith? I mean, here at Grace Crossing Church, that mission is our motto, where life and faith intersect. Here's the danger. Most of us live our lives compartmentalized. You know, we have all of these different areas of our life that are in these boxes. We, we have our, our, our job, we have our family, we have our friends, we have our faith, we have our fun, the things we do for activities and leisure. And there are all these different compartments, but I don't believe that's the way God chooses for us to live out our lives. God certainly entrusts all of those things to us. God says, I'm going I'm to put you in a place of influence. I'm going to let you live for me where you are. And so God gives us a job. And if we're honest, most of us find our greatest identity, not from our relationship with God, but from our work. This defines who we are. When we're explaining ourselves to an individual and we're telling somebody about who we are, what do we say? This is what I do for a living. Why? Because we think that what we do defines who we are. And it's so easy to have a compartment of life that is work-related, to think this is the most significant thing that we do in life. And as we grow and as we come to faith in Christ, we learn that God wants to be a part you know, of our work. God wants to be included in our work. And so what we tend to do is we tend to take our relationship with God and we try to include it inside 
of the work that we do, the job that we do. And listen, there's nothing wrong. That's a great step in the right direction. But I think there's another paradigm that Scripture gives us. It really isn't, according to Scripture, about God in your work. According to Colossians chapter 3, here's actually the paradigm that we should have. In all of the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord and not for people. Remember that you will receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. I I, I learned that in the Harvard Business Review, uh, that there was a survey that was done on the top ten things that drive a person's satisfaction at work. What may attract us to our job may be the money. But you know where money falls in line in, in levels of satisfaction, like number seven or eight? You know what the number one thing is that brings satisfaction in our work? Number one is working for a good boss. If we do it for the Lord, guess who we're working for? That changes everything. That changes work into worship. The moment you do it for the motivation of God, it changes everything. And oh, by the way, the second thing that people identified as being those things which bring the greatest level of satisfaction, feeling like there's meaning and significance in what you do. If we do our work not for us, not for a paycheck, not for the 401k, not simply for a good boss who's employing us, but if we do it for God, it changes everything about the way we do our work. And so I believe that what the Lord wants us to do is to think differently about our work. I think what God desires us to do is God desires us to take everything that we do and everything in life and place it inside of our relationship with God and say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to put you first. It's going to be about you and not about me, not about what I can get out of it, but what I can do to serve you. That's exactly what the shepherds did. In Luke chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, the Bible says, When they had seen him, the child, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The second implication that I want to extract is actually found there in Colossians, and it's reiterated here in Luke's gospel. Who we work for is more important than the work we do. Who we work for is more important than the work we do. When the shepherds returned to the fields, the Bible gives us, by the way, no indication that they lingered at the manger. No indication that they stopped being shepherds. In fact, quite the contrary. They went back to their fields, back to shepherding. Listen, back to the ordinary life. Back to what was mundane. But all of a sudden, their perspective had changed. For all intents and purposes, the very first evangelists that ever lived on the earth were the shepherds. Because they were the first ones that ever went and declared, this is what we have heard, this is what we have seen. Verse number 20 says that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen 
which were just as they had been told. Verse 9, they go in fear. Verse 20, they come back filled with praise, filled with thanksgiving, filled with giving God glory. And that's not just the shepherds. Every single one of us, as we walk out of this auditorium on Sundays, we have an opportunity to go back into whatever we do, whether it is teaching, whether it is a medical profession, whether you are a business person or the owner of a business, uh, whether you are a stay-at-home parent, your job matters, and you can do it for God. You can do it with a brand-new motivation and go and say, this is what I have seen, this is what I have heard. And every time God gives you that opportunity, just like the shepherds, we're to take advantage of it. Because there's one final implication that I want to give you this morning. And here it is. We must not allow our occupation to consume us. Now, now let me make some sense out of that. The word occupation actually comes from the root word, occupy. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Whereas the word occupation is a noun, the definitions for the word occupy are all verbs, every one of them. And let me just give you a couple of them. To occupy means to take up or fill up space, time, or thoughts. To occupy also means to take control of by force, as in military occupation. What's the idea? The idea is that our jobs and our work have a way of occupying the better part of our lives, don't they? Consuming our thought life. Consuming our energy. We can become so preoccupied with what we do that we forget to make room for God. To make space for God in our lives. By the way, that's not just a challenge you have. That's a challenge even I have as a pastor. I can be busy doing so much ministry and becoming so preoccupied that I forget about the Savior that I'm serving, the God that I'm to be living for, that I'm to have a relationship with. And if there's one thing the shepherds teach us, I believe the shepherds teach us this, that our job here on this earth, just like them, is to make room for God in what we do in our lives. For what we do in our career matters to God. And it doesn't just matter that we become occupied with our job, but rather that we become occupied with God and how he wants to use us in our jobs. This morning I have three people that I'm, I've asked to come and join me on this platform. Uh, just to talk briefly about what this looks like in our lives. I would like my wife Kelly to come and Paul Hartman and Kendra Shoemaker. If you'll join me this morning on this platform. Kendra, why don't you sit on that seat? And Paul, I'm going to put you smack dab in the middle this morning, okay? All right. You know, I think sometimes uh, in life when we come to church and we hear a, a message, it can be so ethereal. Um, and, and it's easy to say, well, man, that's really easy for you to say as a pastor because that's your job. But reality is I have the same challenge that every one of these individuals have and that every one of you have. And that is how do we... How do we put God on our radar? How do we make sure that we do what we do for God and not for us? I think what's more important 
than making a living is who we live for. I mean, it is important that we make a living, but it's important we do it living for God. So, Kelly, I'm going to start with you uh, this morning. I'd like you to talk about, uh, first of all, why don't you guys all introduce yourself, tell us what you do so that we'll give a frame to those that are listening here. I'm Kelly Dukeman, and I teach English as a second language at Northmont City Schools. I'm Paul Hartman. I'm a professor of operations research, supply chain management, Ohio Northern University. I'm Kendra Shoemaker. I lead employee development and training for Apple between um, Dayton and Cincinnati. Okay, very good. So let's, Kelly, I'm going to have you answer the first question here. Um, you obviously work in a public school, public education. Talking about God, talking about your faith uh, is certainly not necessarily encouraged and may even be illegal, depending on how it's done. But you obviously have learned to include God in your day, in your job, and you've, you've also taken advantage of those opportunities that God brings to you. And talk about how you integrate your faith with your work and what you do to allow God to use you uh, in the school. Well, I have a half-hour drive to work and back from work, so that's an hour a day, five hours a week. And so I've downloaded Version, which I follow with the live event here at church, and I can also listen to scripture on my way and have a few devotions on my way to work. And I have Hoopla um, through Overdrive through the library. And um, if you're like my son-in-law, Josh, you belong to every neighboring county library in the area. Um, but you can download a lot of devotionals and books. So I listen to that to prepare my heart on my way to work and usually on the way home as well. At work, I am limited on what I can say, except when the kids ask me, what do you believe, or what do you think about this? You know, um, why do we celebrate Christmas? What do you believe? And so that opens a door for me, and I can share, you know, I know that they are Muslim or maybe Hindu, or a lot of my Asian kids don't have any belief, have never heard of God. And so I can just tell them, you know, I believe in Christ, who is the reason we celebrate Christmas. And I had a little boy this week that said, well, I believe in God because one time my computer didn't work and I asked God to help me. And he was a little Asian boy. And I said, that's really neat. He said, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. But, you know, it gives me an idea of how to pray for them. And Jesus says they'll know we are Christians by our love. So mainly I just love them. I love the kids. I love the people I work with. Um, if I can go on and share what I feel God speaks to me sure. to do and not to do. One, one way I've heard God speak to me in the workplace is to not enter into the gossip I hear in the lunchroom. And most of the people I work with are very positive and very great. But once in a while, you know, uh, there's complaining about OTES, the teacher evaluation system, and um, just another teacher or something. And the Lord has just really convicted me not to enter into that and just to be positive. So, yeah. Before I go to Paul with my second question, I, I just want to hitch on what Kelly said about love. Now, I really believe no matter what job we do, one of the greatest ways that we speak of Christ is how we not only act but react in the workplace. And I think our attitude and letting God's love shine through us, I think uh, you can't put a price tag on that. And it is true. They will know that we belong to God by how we love one another. So um, thanks for sharing 
And I know how, how you do that and how you prepare your heart each and every day on getting ready for God to use you. Paul, you, you had quite a journey. You've, you've, uh, you've worked at the Pentagon. You've done consulting uh, for military. Uh, you now are a professor at Ohio Northern, uh, Northern University. And um, the last three years, you've been on a spiritual journey. Your life has been transformed. You're, you're growing. You got baptized a couple of weeks ago. The paradigm for work has changed for you, hasn't it? Definitely. And I want you to talk about how has this changed in your life since Christ has come into the equation, into the picture. Talk, talk to us about, about your journey in, in, in your spiritual uh, development and formation. First, <clears throat> good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I just wanted to say to, uh, to Gil, thank you so much, my friend, for uh, speaking God's favor into my life these last three years. Uh, no question that uh, where I sit today versus where I was three years ago is a changed man and, and a significantly different gentleman. And I, and I hope that uh, for those of you that know me that you can appreciate the, the goodness of God's love and, and what he's done in your life and, and what he's done in my life. Uh, in the interest of time, I will cut it short from this morning. I don't want to be the thing that stands between you and the pot roast. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, anyway, I just want to provide one example. At the university, uh, first and foremost, Ohio Northern University is not a uh, values-neutral institution. We are very much aligned with the Methodist Church in the in the belief and the faith of God and His His hand of favor on every young person's life. So it's a pleasure for me, an honor for me to be able to teach uh, juniors and seniors. I teach quantitative business uh, decision-making classes, uh, business process reengineering, what it takes to make a company successful. And I had an opportunity just a few weeks ago, and I'll keep this story very short because earlier, wait, I just had too much fun. I'm going to be honest with you, I did. But uh, I had an opportunity three weeks ago to uh, come in as a, as a guest speaker for all of the uh, sorority and fraternities uh, on the university as well as the dean's advisory council and the president of the university's student advisory council. They asked me to come in and speak on goal setting. And I prayed that God would provide an opportunity for a guy like me I always forget the Kleenex, so. But I prayed that, that he would use me. Let, let me thank you so much. <laughs> it is the cold and flu season. Right? So, but I did. I asked that God allow a guy like me to do something good. You know, I've spent most of my life chasing money and chasing all the things under the sun that add, at the end of the day, no value to your life. I'm, I'll be honest with you. And I asked God to let me use this opportunity to speak to these young people about goal setting to at least speak into one young person's life. Let me touch one out of the 25 or 30 students that were there. So what I did is I took the goal-setting approach. There's a gentleman by the uh, W. Clement Stone is his name, and he said, whatever the mind of man can first conceive and believe, he can then achieve. Conceive and believe and then achieve. And I used that as the framework for the discussion that said there's a lot of secular influence on goal-setting. You know, and uh, you, can, you can cite folks like uh, Lou Holtz, if you love football, that says you've got to have goals. If your life is boring, you must have goals. You don't have enough goals. Or you can follow someone like Henry David Thoreau, who said it's not so much about what you achieve in pursuing your goals. It's about what you become in the pursuit of those goals. Mm. But I use the framework of conceive, believe, and achieve. And I just applied a biblical approach to it. And if you'll take just a minute with me, let me share with you what I share with the students. And I think you'll see why it meant so much for me to be able to do it and the expectation of favor on God's life, uh, on their life from God for being able to share that opportunity with them. So from the perspective of conceive, I just cited Proverbs 16.3. It said, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. 
It's not up to you necessarily to pick what you conceive. Let God do it. God's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for my life. And if we just follow in his plan, he will provide favor and blessing in our lives. And that's what I shared with the students. And I know that it's easier for me to do it at Ohio Northern because we are not a values-neutral institution as maybe some of the places that you work or maybe it is against the law or there's some legal ramifications for talking about God. But in this case, I felt comfortable in doing so, and I really appreciated the opportunity to be able to do that. The second piece was to believe. And I cited Matthew 17, 20. It said, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there. Faith the size of the tip of a number two pencil. If you have that size of faith, you can say to a mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I just share that with them because I tell them the same coin, opposite side, is fear the size of a mustard seed will stop you dead in your tracks and keep you from achieving the things that God has asked of you to do with your life. And the last piece was just to achieve. And Proverbs 21.5 said, The plans of the diligent, those who are willing to work hard, to stay focused and stay committed, lead to a profit just as surely as haste leads to poverty. So that's a very brief example of how I asked for God to provide me an opportunity. I thank my friend Gil for speaking God's favor into my life. I thank him every day for Grace Crossing Church. And I see my friend's life in Jared here. But I appreciate what this place has done for me and now giving me an opportunity to go do some good work on God's behalf at, at Ohio Northern. That's good. What I love about, about Paul's journey is, um, you know, Paul would never have shared scripture like that oh, no. just a few, oh, no. few years ago, right? But, but there's a new framework for his life that he's learning. It's on his radar. And that's what God wants for all of us. Regardless of where you are in the spiritual continuum, God just wants to be a part. He wants to be included. And he invites us to do that. Kendra, I want you to wrap us up. You know, one of the challenges is keeping God first, especially in the workplace when things get tough and you're in retail, um, you know, high success, you know, we, we got to perform. What do you do to remind yourself and to keep God first in your job? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I work for Apple, and uh, I do a few things. I get both ends of the spectrum. So as soon as you have bought, let's say, a new iPad, and you're so excited, but you have no idea how to use it, um, I help you and teach you how to use it. So I get to work with people who are really excited. On the other end of the spectrum, I get to also work with the people who want to throw their device out the window, or it's smashed, or they just lost 3,000 photos of their closest family members. So I get both ends of the world at Apple, and something that I do every single day to prepare myself for that wide range of emotion is I just, I read a book a few years ago, and I've taken the title of it, so yes, I stole it, but I just pray that God sends me whispers and that I have the guts to respond to those whispers. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that's in my head all the time, and even in the middle of somebody yelling at me uh, at work or me finding those 3,000 pictures again, I just pray that God uses me at work no matter what the situation is. And one situation that happened to me is with a woman named Vera, and she's been in my heart and my mind, and... Um, she came in for a class um, for training, and she brought out an iPad she had just bought. And I said, what do you want to learn today? I don't know. I don't even know what this is. So I'm really excited because there's so much that she can do. And there's just something off. And I just felt God say, you need to talk to her. Put the iPad aside. So my goal for that hour with her was to teach this person how to use their device. 
And I just threw that all out the window and asked her. And in probing and just getting to know her, I found out that her husband of 63 years was currently in hospice. Mm. And it was the only thing on her mind. And at that point, I didn't care what my goals were for that hour or what I had to accomplish or what I had to write in the notes after. My only thing that I was focusing on was being there and talking to her and as everybody knows, an Apple store is one of the busiest places. And um, I just felt God saying, you have to pray with her right now wow. in front of the chaos that's going on in the store and just get on her level. And so I just try to keep him in my heart and in my mind and that he uses me however that's going to be that day. That's good. I love the, I love the word whispers because uh, it truly is what God wants to do in us through our job, through our career, through our occupation. We must allow God to occupy the better part of our hearts so that what we do, we do for him. We do for the right motives. We, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ and not necessarily an employer. Can we just uh, put our hands together and thank these individuals for helping us uh, today? Thank you so much. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray together with us this morning, and then Jamie's going to lead us in a final song and pray a blessing as we go today. Father, we just thank you for loving us and caring about us. God, if you can care for shepherds, and if you can bring your word to them, and you can show your presence and your glory to them, then God, you can do it for anyone. There's nothing that's too hard for you, God. There's no history, there's no past, there's no family of origin that separates us from your love. Though we be excluded in this world by people at times and maybe we even feel like we are outcasts, we are marginalized, we're never considered that way with you. So God, I pray that you'll help us to be diligent like the shepherds were, to take what we have seen and what we have heard and share it and live it and put legs to it. We thank you, God, for your presence within our jobs, in our careers. But I do pray, Lord, that even when it gets complicated in our jobs, may we remember who it is we serve. And because we serve you, God, it doesn't really matter the outcome. What matters is that we're doing it for the right motive. So help us, Lord, to keep you first. And remember this holiday season, why we do what we do. We pray in Christ's name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.